0: Welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. So today I am here with Sophie Asheim, who is a founding member of The PAD Project, a nonprofit dedicated to ending period poverty and the stigma around periods globally. She was also an executive producer on the Oscar-winning documentary, Period, End of Sentence. So thank you for being here today. We're still doing this remote because of the coronavirus. So This was, you're going to do this in person, but you went back home to California and I'm in New York. So if the quality isn't 100, I apologize, but thank you for taking the time to be here and talk about this amazing work.
1: Yeah. And thank you so much for having me and for wanting to get the word out.
0: So first, I just want you to tell us like how you got started with the pad project, more about what the pad project is and just what really sparked your interest in this area of work to begin with?
1: Yeah, so I got started with the PAD project um, at the end of my sophomore year of high school. My English teacher at the time had pulled me aside and given me an article to read on
0: period poverty. Wait, sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to mention how young you are and how incredibly like, amazing it is how much you've done. How old are you? <laughs>
1: I just turned 20. Um, That's insane.
0: I just realized that when I was preparing for this the other day and I was shocked. Like, I was like, this is crazy that you've done so much amazing work and you're so young. It's really cool. So I just had to say that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, she pulled me aside and gave me an article on period poverty, which was not a term I was familiar with, and it explained how... Um, In many communities in India, parents have to choose between buying pads for their daughters once they start getting their periods or buying an entire week's worth of milk for the entire family. And when you really compare those, there isn't an option. You feed your family. Mm -hmm. Um, And how that uh, dilemma contributed to girls dropping out of school at a really young age. And um, that was kind of where I first got interested was – as periods contributing to the lack of girls' education in developing communities Um, and kind of, like, looking at how... We were part of a club that was focused on ending the gender gap in education um, and paired schools in the U.S. with schools around the world to do book clubs and, like, fundraisers and, you know, Mm -hmm. lovely high school club things. And um, so I was really interested in reasons why girls education was not prioritized and I had never even really considered the fact that periods might be a part of that because I grew up where it was just normal Mm -hmm. I mean it was annoying and it wasn't like fun to get your period and it was still stigmatized but it was never a barrier to education that I knew of Mm -hmm. Um, so when Melissa my English teacher gave me this article and said we're probably going to be doing something relating to this with our partner school in India. Um, If you want to get involved, I was like, yeah. Um, And it kind of led from there. And at that point it was basically just five or six of us, uh, either juniors or seniors in high school. Um, And Melissa, our teacher, who's um, been our amazing guide through all of this, she is still the executive director of the pad project. Um, She is just like our rock and we love her. Um, So, yeah, we kind of got started from there and everything kind of eventually snowballed.
0: So can you tell us more about what the PAD project is and, you know, what initiatives you guys take to end period poverty and menstrual equity? Yes. So,
1: the PAD Project is a nonprofit certified 501c3 organization that is dedicated to ending period poverty and um, eliminating the stigma around menstruation. And the ways in which we are hoping to accomplish this is partnering with different communities um, and creating wider access to menstrual products uh, because one of the biggest issues is that they're just not only is there a taboo, so women are less likely to feel comfortable using pads or tampons instead of rags or nothing because it's just not culturally talked about. Mm-hmm. There also isn't access to these products, What whether that's because they're too expensive or because they just aren't physically made available in mm-hmm. these areas. Um, and so our first step is creating access to these products and offering them at lower prices so that it's like fiscally manageable for these families. Right. Um, And also aiming to get products into communities in order to just like, like having these products physically in a community in a store or even being sold door to door by the women working on the machines, which I'll explain in a moment. Does really reduce uh, stigma just because it becomes much more normalized. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we eventually learned about this machine that was created by a man in India named Marukan Anthem who um, basically reverse-engineered how menstrual products are made, how pads are made specifically. Um, And he has a very interesting story, and there's a whole documentary about him as well, Um, and I really encourage everyone to go check him out. It involves... um, being ostracized by your community, carrying around goat udders. Um it's a wild ride, but he's really great and made mm-hmm. this machine.
0: What's his documentary called?
1: Uh The Padman.
0: The Padman. Cool and is, is that on Netflix as well?
1: I don't believe so. I cannot remember okay. where it is.
0: I'll I'm gonna find it and I'll link it in the show notes so that people can watch it.
1: Awesome. Yeah no he's super cool. Um And so he was kind of the first on the scene that figured out a way to use natural materials to create menstrual products, Um, because if giant corporations could do it, so could smaller homemade machines. Um, And so he created this machine that uses locally sourced biodegradable materials. And that produces pads um, very quickly at a fraction of the production cost so that you're able to um, sell them for much, much less in mm-hmm. order to make in order to still make a profit. And so we realized that one way to keep girls in school in our partner community in India was would be to install a machine in this community um, and not only have women working the machine, earning wages and making a profit for the first time. Um, So, therefore, earning respect in their community, but also just, like, creating access to products so that girls could stay in school, and they wouldn't be forced to stay home while they're on their period just because of logistics. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, something I never even really considered is, like, we've all had the really annoying feeling of, oh, God, I used my backup tampon last month. That was in my bag, and I forgot to replace it. I don't have one right now. But there is always a solution because people around you will have one or... Hopefully your work bathroom will have one or you can just run to the Mm drugstore and grab one. And though it can be really annoying, it's not completely debilitating. But in developing communities and areas where menstruation is still super stigmatized, not only is there not an understanding of what menstruation is and why you're bleeding, but also there is absolutely zero discussion of it. And so you wouldn't even ever think to ask a friend for help if you bleed through your pad right and especially if you're not using pads if you're using rags you bleed through them there's a huge risk involved in going out to change your rag one you have to bring extras with you which if you're a young girl in school and there's a huge stigma around menstruation that's super ostracizing and even if you did bring one bathrooms are not necessarily located right within the school they're usually a bit farther away or you have to go out into a field um, or more like protected area in order to change out your rag and that leads to a huge risk of sexual assault um and there's really just not really any sort of protection for mm-hmm. these girls while they're going through this at school and so many times they'll just stay home while they have their periods and then eventually they'll fall so far behind that they'll drop out especially because in many communities girls education just isn't prioritized at all the way that boys education is right um, so We decided, along with our partner organization in India, their name is Action India. They are based in Delhi. They are incredible. They've been doing amazing grassroots organizing since the 70s and have accomplished so much. And so we, in discussion with them, decided that um, hopefully this machine could really be a solution for this community in Katsukira that would allow women to earn wages and also produce pads where there really weren't access to any um and so we decided to raise the money for the machine and the first year's worth of materials like the natural plant product um so that they did not have to be worried about immediately making a profit and could focus in order to buy more materials and could just focus on the production and trying to get people to buy pads Mm -hmm. um and our hope was that this would not only kickstart a microeconomy, which would create a sustainable business model so that it didn't need to be dependent on our involvement, but also so that for themselves, they're like men in their community would see value and see worth in it. Um, and so we also realized that, I mean, we're... We were high schoolers in the age of social media, living mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, which is the hotbed of media.
0: Right.
1: Um, and so I think maybe more than some people had an idea of how visual storytelling can really change minds mm-hmm. and also empowered by social media to understand that you don't need to be a giant like media company in order to make a piece of media that can change people's minds. Um, because you can shoot it on an iPhone and put it on YouTube or make it go viral on Instagram there are so many ways to get your message across without needing like um, institutional support totally and so we said okay well first of all if we're a group of incredibly like quote-unquote woke, feminist teen girls from LA and we had absolutely zero idea about period poverty in the rest of the world, let alone the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of people in the US who are also struggling with this issue because of financial insecurity, then this isn't really going to be an issue that people are talking about anyway. So we wanted to get the word out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was kind of when we started talking about, do we make this a documentary, a short film, a photo series? Like, how do you get the story of the women in out there so that people can understand that this is an issue. Um, and so that was kind of what went into the Kickstarter, which we launched in the fall of 2016. Um, and that was basically, we were able through that to raise enough to buy the machine and the, and the year's worth of supplies and um, set aside money in order to film the documentary. Um, which would hopefully just serve as like an educational piece of media that would help people start talking about this issue.
0: Mm -hmm. And Um, the documentary was absolutely amazing. I want to talk more about that. But one quick thing that I want to also make light of is um, that I want to mention is when I was doing research um, for, for this episode, I saw one of the videos on the pad project website that women in India also use leafs for like as a substitute for their period, which is really dangerous. And that's something that I found to be, I mean, when I heard that, I was like, I could see that being a thing, but it's so crazy that that is a thing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we can talk more about the documentary in a minute, but you can see that they are using rags, which to us is already considered super unhygienic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is best case scenario in many, many communities where what we consider to be products are not available. Right. Um and so yeah, like through a lot there's been research done about this, not enough, but you can kind of see that They'll use anything, including rags, but also newspaper or leaves or nothing at all. And it's not a huge surprise that India has one of the highest rates of cervical cancer diagnoses. Um,
0: That's so, and, I didn't even know that.
1: Yeah. And I think like you could kind of just imagine like our vaginas are definitely like resilient, but mm-hmm. not when you're introducing unhygienic objects there. Totally. Um, and so when there just isn't access to clean water and there isn't access to hygienic materials, it does create a huge, huge risk for women and young girls, especially, especially if you don't even know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so then there's also the added discomfort, like physical discomfort of an infection, an STI. You just like you don't know what's going on.
0: Yeah. And one other thing that I want to talk about before we get into the documentary is the actual pad machine and how it works and who, you know, is in charge of working them and what what they make. And just like, because I watched the documentary and it's so interesting, all the information that is shown about the actual machine. And I, we discussed this, but um, we want, I want to do some sort of a virtual screening with you where people can kind of come together and watch the documentary in conjunction to this episode because it's just so important and so amazing and interesting but for the sake of the audio version that we're doing now um can you talk more about the pad machines
1: yeah so the machine pictured in the documentary is a um non-automated machine it is completely manual um and so it involves Basically, taking this raw material, which is plant mm-hmm. fibers, um, which have been like compressed into these giant sheets that look a little bit like very thick paper towel or pieces of paper in a giant roll, like a hay bale sized mm-hmm. roll, and um, using um, basically like reinvigorating them and making them fluffier and to the more natural state, and also like kind of how you would consider the inside of a pad to be like cotton. Um, And using that and then um, using that fluffed up material and forming it into the shapes of the pads um, and compressing it and then painting on an adhesive and um, packaging it. Mm -hmm. And so it is completely manual. There are like the machine itself does like do the compression of the pads, but it's not like you have individuals pushing the buttons in order to do that every time. Um, And so that was an obstacle we faced actually pretty early on was just how manual the machine was um, and how not necessarily efficient that is if you're looking to produce on a wider scale for a broader community. Um, And so something we've spent a long time discussing um, is that no community we work with is going to need the same thing. And so if the goal is to create job opportunities for women more than it is to create access to products, then a manual machine is perfect because it employs more women and um, really does create that opportunity for um, more people to earn wages. But if you need, if the goal is to create like if there's one community that's producing hundreds of thousands of pads for their broader communities then you're going to want a more automated machine or a different opportunity which would just cr- up the scale of production mm-hmm. um, and so the f-
0: machine pictured in the film is a fully manual machine
1: and at the time that was one of the only machines kind of being made at all and so that was are like, that was just like, yeah, like we're going to use. And I think as we've, in the years since we began all of this, menstruation has become a lot less taboo and you can kind of see every culture beginning to talk about it more. And th- through that you're seeing much more innovation in terms of creating other ways um, of producing menstrual products. But at the time um, this was like the machine. right And so, and it just sits on a tabletop. It's very small. It's completely manual. Um, and we, and still that is still being used. There are now two machines in that same community in Katakira. Um, and actually in the midst of COVID-19 and this pandemic, we were able to raise enough funds, um, to, basically continue um to compensate the women the 10 women working the machine and also the two managers um for the next couple months while they cannot be in production since india is in a complete shutdown oh wow Um, which we're incredibly incredibly grateful that people donated so quickly so that we could promise Mm -hmm. that um but yeah that definitely wasn't a given and so like that was even just like last week and so even though it is a very stable micro economy within this community i mean you, things come up all the time and none of us plan for a pandemic
0: yeah um <laughs> on that note can you since i'm sure you know a bit more than i do about the current status in india what what does it look like there because i you know it's crazy i was talking to my mom the other night like on the news they show at least in new york they only show new york and a little bit of information in the rest of the country but there's obviously so much going on in the rest of the world that's really important. And that made me, your comment just made me think about the importance of, you know, everyone understanding what's going on in other countries as well. Um, what, what do you know more than I do about what is going on in India
1: I will not say I am in any way an authority on this issue, (laughs) but um, yeah, through our NGO partners in India, as well as someone who works for the PAD Project who Mm -hmm. is based in India, um, we have gotten kind of a picture of what's going on. Right,
0: um, and I just think it's so important for people to like have a baseline understanding of how bad it is in India and other countries.
1: Completely, and Mm -hmm. so I think India has kind of as of 10 days ago now or around them, um, India has taken uh, a similar approach to um, Germany and China in terms of asking for complete and total cooperation in terms of shutting down the country. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, as of a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, President Modi said people shouldn't leave their houses unless they are going to get food or medication. All businesses must stop. Everything needs to just... Come to a halt. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not clear how, or it's not clear to me at this point, if that's completely affected their rate of um, infection and what that's going to look like long term in terms of the pandemic. Um, But that did cause a huge concern for us immediately in terms of okay, yes, this is like public health wise super important, but also these women are about to be going home for the unforeseeable future without any sort of financial security and how can we adapt to that? Right. Um, and so from there, we kind of then went into emergency planning mode Of because we now have um, five or six partners around the world, but um, three or four of them in India and basically saying like, okay, well, how do we, like what do you need from us right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we help provide basic needs during pandemic um and so in terms of action india and the communities in katakira that was just being able to um provide wages for them for the next at least the next two months if not more um given that their means of uh income are shut down
0: Mm -hmm. and then what Um, about period products
1: so luckily they do have um, they have been able to produce a ton, a ton, a ton of pads. And so I think those who rely on the so the brand that the open in India created is called Fly. Mm-hmm. And so those who do rely on Fly pads and Fly products will hopefully still be able to get them. I think it's just the concern that we all have about any basic product right now is weighing the risk of going out and getting it with the risk of getting um the virus and Mm -hmm. so i think it's the same guessing game we're all playing of i need to go to the grocery store but also i need to not get sick
0: Mm -hmm. Um, but they do have
1: enough stock
0: that's amazing that Mm -hmm. that was a wonderful explanation thank you very important i'm glad we covered that and then this is something that you touched upon before when you were talking more about the pad project but I also want you to expand for a minute on why it is so crucial for women to stay in school and the effects that that has on their families and the community in the long term. Yeah, so
1: I get made fun of by the rest of the Bad Project women um, for knowing this fact beyond anything else, um, and because I learned it once and it just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. But. Um, we came across this figure that if India enrolled just 1% more girls in school, their GDP would rise by $5.5 5 billion.
0: That's insane. And
1: yeah, that's, a, that's massive. Um, that's in- and I think that's you totally to see, insane. And it is kind of like a common saying among like feminist groups, but like when you educate girls and women, you educate a generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so, so, so vital, not only for, like, the personal safety of girls and, like, the personal empowerment of girls to stay in school, but also for the country as a whole, um, and, I mean, when girls drop out of school, when they get their period, that is seen as a sign that they are, they have reached puberty, they are ready for child marriage, which, um, culturally is, has not gone away in India and in many other communities, um, But if they stay in school, if if they're able to stay in school, they are usually more protected from those kinds of risks and are able to, like, protect themselves and their families and also have much better chances of having an independent um, life in terms of, like, basically staying in school and not marrying as a young teen really does create a huge, huge opportunity in terms of job prospects and also just, like, self-empowerment mm-hmm. um, and so for a host of like mental psychological physical, physical reasons like girls staying in school is so 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 important um, and like it is one of the things I like it is what pulled me into this yeah and will keep me in this forever even though one of the first things I learned is
0: that period poverty affects everyone mm-hmm. and in terms of period poverty I know that a core value of the pad project is advocacy. So is that from all the work that you've done is advocacy really helping to combat period poverty, keep women in school and just help all of the issues that these women are facing.
1: I mean, only time will tell. And also I, um, I mean, as much as I would love to know that we are having an incredibly positive impact, I think like that is never going to come from simply advocacy, but even just in terms of creating access to these products in the U S advocacy is one of the only thing getting that done Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, Mm -hmm. a small nonprofit can't necessarily change um, sources of financial insecurity in the U S which are incredibly fundamental and also incredibly based on race and socioeconomic status and, ethnic background and you know we're facing a lot of social divisions in this country right now not just in terms of pandemics but also like socially there is a huge huge disproportionate amount of people of color um who can't access these products because they just or if they can it's a much higher strain on them because there is just not financial security Mm -hmm. um and so basically like you will see period poverty everywhere right um I live in Los Angeles, and I was talking with girls um, who live in Orange County who said that though they were totally financial, financially stable and felt very lucky in that, m- many of their classmates were, like, their parents were living paycheck to paycheck, and they saw girls on their basketball team wrapping toilet paper around a pencil and using that as a tampon. And, like, first of all, ow. Um, wow. Just, yeah, and I think that, like, you you – we expect to see this in other communities, but not in our own backyards, and I think one of the most important lessons for me and for our team to learn early on is that this truly does affect absolutely everyone, because where there is any sort of inequality and inequity and financial insecurity, there will be period poverty.
0: Mm-hmm because women aren't
1: prioritized and like this is a fundamental women's need
0: yeah and i just think that it was so 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 amazing that you guys were able to create that documentary period end of sentence because i mean i am you know this is what i work in in the women's health space this is what i do every day and it's something that i didn't even know that much about and i learned so much from the documentary and just being able to produce that and have that as a resource for men and women around the world to be able to watch it's on Netflix like anyone can access that who has Netflix and um, that's just a huge way to get people to learn about this issue and I mean, I found it fascinating, but not only because I'm already interested in all of this, but just because you're learning about what's going on in another country and the whole economic issue, uh, health issue, um, you know, mental, emotional, physical, sexual. It's like, it's everything. And it's so important for the world to be knowledgeable on this. So I just, I think that advocacy is the way that you've been able to use advocacy, one of the ways being through that documentary is really amazing and really impactful.
1: Thank you. I think something we have prioritized from the beginning, even just in terms of our own advocacy, is learning to listen and mm-hmm. using our um, privilege to amplify other voices, because I think something that's super important for us to recognize all the time is that we are a group of young people middle-class girls from los angeles we are white we are privileged um and though we care deeply about this issue we are not the experts on this because we have not lived this Mm -hmm. and so um something that we have tried really really hard to stay on top of is both recognizing our privilege and like trying to understand like when to take a step back but also using our privilege and our voice to amplify those who are normally not heard in this space Mm -hmm. um and so i think that was kind of the point of the documentary to us was because we had a very long discussion about what you want the documentary to look like is is the story that gets this out there a group of high school girls caring about this or is it the women themselves who are living this right and i think he felt pretty hard that like it's not about us we're like this is not this is not our rise to fame or anything like that um This is the story of really incredible women who are fighting for their own empowerment and also, like, creating change in their communities. Um, And so within – and I mentioned this earlier, but, like, within every community we work with, we – one of our biggest goals is to kind of meet them where they're at in terms of what – if they want to be producing pads, but also we are working with a community in Sierra, in Sierra Leone and it is one of our strongest partnerships. It's been so successful and they're creating um, reusable pads, Mm -hmm. um, not disposable pads, which, uh, which is what is being used in the documentary and in India. Um, And that is because of a whole host of reasons, but also because this community has access through other projects and organizations to reliable clean water. And so they are able to use reusable pads um, and, that has been a completely separate and new project for us in terms of trying to figure out how we can work with them but also seeing such amazing results because like they told us what they need and we are working to get that
0: right and okay so now let's just talk about the documentary for a few minutes i mean just so everyone knows who hasn't watched it it is most of it is filmed in india like front and center it gives you a real time picture of exactly what is going on and what you guys have done which is so 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 crazy incredible but can you talk a little bit more about what went into the documentary and what the documentary shows and yeah yeah so
1: the documentary was filmed um over a six month period um, we were able to send our director, Rika, and um, her partner, Sam, to India um, with a camera, basically that's it Um, twice in those six months in order to capture both the installation of the machine and also kind of where did it end up six months later and what Mm -hmm. does that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, what you see is really just what they were seeing on the ground, they, it was just the two of them. We had someone from, um, action India translating and we intentionally kept it as small and as intimate as possible because we really wanted to capture, um, like reality Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And also understanding that like, what right do we have to put? I mean, first of all, it's also what we could afford (laughs) given that this was done completely with,
0: um, Kickstarter funds. But, but it, also, I mean, from my, from my perspective, it was, like, super professional and accurate and just, it looks like it was done really high-end. So that's pretty cool. But Sam
1: and Rika are some of the most talented people I've ever met, and mm-hmm. I could not be bigger fans of them. Um, like, whatever they do next is going to be absolutely incredible. I mean, like, has already been working with Planned Parenthood since our documentary. Like, she mm-hmm. is going to go so far. So is Sam. They're so, I could not love them more. Mm-hmm. But also, like, even if we did have unlimited resources to have, like, multiple camera crews there, I think we f- all felt pretty... That's literally deeply. what I thought.
0: I was, I was like, how did they get, like, a whole team of people to be there for this period of time and capture all of this? Like, I, I... It's crazy.
1: Yeah, and I think that is kind of the magic of storytelling. Um, but in reality, it was those two and a translator with one camera in the village for about 10 days, um in the beginning and 10 days about six months later and from there being able to construct this story and represent this narrative um and but we like did really want to keep it small because like what right do we have to completely uproot any sorts of normal for this community and also even just for the viability of the machine and the project itself it was super important that we keep it small because there was not i mean you can kind of see in the beginning of the film and in the trailer for the film um Men in the community don't necessarily know what this is or know what it's for. Um, And as long as they didn't know what it was for, they were okay with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a couple instances when Ryke and Sam were there in the beginning where we did, um, like, machine almost did have to get shut down because there was starting to be a lot of unrest from certain men in the community who were starting to understand what it was for, who were drunk, who were angry, who were like, Mm yeah,
0: You know. (laughs) Um, I could imagine
1: really descriptive me just then. <laughs> um, and so even just, like, for the viability of the project itself, it, it was so important that this be, like, dictated by the community. And, right. um, yeah, and also just, like, trying to respect their values and what they wanted to mm-hmm. put across. And we are so lucky and really, really... I mean, I think it's a testament to how hard Sam and Rico worked um, in order to represent an authentic story um but the um community in india and wider communities as a whole receive the film so well which we feel incredibly incredibly lucky for um but yeah there has been since it's been filmed there has been a ton of support which is really really amazing
0: and the quote that you guys use throughout the documentary that i want to share with everyone which is just so perfect is a period should end a sentence not a girl's education that's brilliant yeah and that
1: kind of that was our like guiding mission and is always our guiding mission but it kind of does show that like we started this when we thought that not having access to menstrual products was really just a symptom of girls not being able to go to school rather than not having like girls not staying in school is a symptom of a huge or wider issue of just complete lack of access to menstrual products at all mm-hmm. um And so I think as much as we will always completely stand by that line and firmly do believe it, like, you, there is so much, like, a period should end a sentence, not anyone's, like, career, empowerment, life, like, there are horror stories, um, of girls who in India or in other communities as well, who have felt shamed by having their period and have committed suicide or have lost their lives because they were separated from their family while they were on their period and a monsoon hit and they were killed. Um, And so like, this is life or death in many, many ways.
0: Yeah. Wow. I have the chills. (laughs) No, it's crazy, but it's just unbelievable what you guys are doing. And I, I, Feel so lucky to have been connected with you and to have you here to share all of this because I want to help spread the awareness and your mission. So I'm so grateful. Yeah, of course. Um, Are there any other resources? I want you to share, you know, where everyone can watch the documentary and how everyone can contact you. But are there any other valuable resources that you think would be interesting or important to share?
1: Yeah, I think, honestly, one of the most important things is realizing that this will affect every community. And so looking within your own community to figure out how you can both advocate on either a city or statewide level. Like, does your state still have a tax, a luxury tax on menstrual products? Um, As of this week, um, 30 states still have a tax on menstrual products and basically calling them a luxury when we all know they're a necessity. And so, can you advocate on that level? Are there, do you routinely do um, work with homeless shelters on food banks and food drives, but are, and toiletry drives, but are needs being met there in terms of menstrual products? Mm-hmm. And can you donate, can you do a donation drive of pads or tampons to your community and make sure that people there have access in terms? And so, um, one of the most important things is definitely like, this is a global phenomenon and we'll always need global advocacy, but also the individual. It's super, super, super important to look at your own community and ways you can affect change there. Um, and I mean, you can get involved with the pad project on our website, which is the Um, you can check us out on Instagram, on Facebook. We DM us. We love to respond. Um, you can watch the documentary on Netflix. Um, And if you are a school looking to screen the documentary, um, please do reach out to us because there are ways that we can help you achieve this. Um, And yeah, it's just get involved in whatever way you can, like work with your own communities. And um, just don't forget that like, just because you don't necessarily think about these issues doesn't mean that they aren't huge issues.
0: Thank you so much. This was so interesting. I learned so much. I know everyone listening will. And I hope that if you haven't already watched the documentary, I just want to reiterate, it's called Period, End of Sentence. Go watch it because it is absolutely incredible. And thank you again for being here. Obviously not thank physically, but for virtually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and thank you so much for having me and also for caring about the Pod project um and wanting to put our story out there we're super super grateful
0: thank you i'm gonna go text my friend right when we end this to thank her for introing us because this was awesome and for anyone who wants to contact us at the veehive you can email info at theveehive.com and follow us on instagram at the V-Hive, twitter facebook and as always please if you have a minute leave a comment and a review in the itunes podcast app and i hope everyone stays healthy and safe and happy throughout this time see you next week podcast is for education purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.